بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبعد وسلم يان آية 27 سورة السبع سورة 34 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل أروني الذين الحقتم به شركاء كلا بل هو الله العزيز الحكيم الله سبحانه discussed in the previous ayat how he will bring together all people and then he will decide and rule and give a verdict according to the haq to the truth as he is the ultimate judge and decider al-fattah here continuing with that scenario Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask people on the day of judgment qul aruniya alladhina alhaqtum bihi shuraka say to them o muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam Show me those whom you have joined with him as his partners. Al-Haqtum joined. Show me those whom you have annexed unto God as his partners. Do they exist? And the answer is no. Kalla. Definitely not. That is not the truth. Bal huwa Allahul Aziz al-Hakim. In fact, the truth is He is Allah, the one and only, the supreme, the mighty, the all-wise. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the mushrikun of the Arab through Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The time will come when you will be asked to produce God's rivals if there are any and God's partners if there are any. And there will be none. So you will be there uh, bereft. You will be there deserted, isolated. And in utter disappointment. That whatever you had assumed about God. That he has partners and associates and helpers. That will all be destroyed. And the only being who will be there in front of you is Allah. The one who is almighty, all-powerful, the supreme. and the all wise and this is to reassure the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that no matter what happens to you if you deliver the message then you will always be the one who will win but your winning is not limited to victory in this world it will continue in the other world and so on okay So this is an extension of وَهُوَ الْفَتَّاحُ الْعَلِيمُ One of the meanings of the word al-fattah is the one who gives victory and the one who conquers all the time. So the Prophet ﷺ ultimate victory will be when the people acknowledge that he is the Nabi of Allah and he is the human being who will lead others into Jannah. Everybody has to believe in him. as the last nabi so this is an extension of the promise 
that Allah gave to the Prophet ﷺ with regards to Fatih Makkah, but extending it to the Day of Judgment, where the ultimate victory will not only be apparent, but also announced in front of all the billions and trillions of people who will be there. That is the meaning of the word Al-Aziz, the Almighty, the Supreme. But whenever he is Almighty, he is also Al-Hakim, the All-Wise. His wisdom and his knowledge manifest his might and his supremacy. Everything is done in a certain order so that it is not chaotic and it is constructed in a very orchestrated way. This ayah is leading up to the next ayah. And that is why I translated this ayah and gave its meaning so that we are able to blend into this ayah. The ayah number 28. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا كَافَّةً لِلنَّاسِ بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ That we have not sent you except to all of people. إِلَّا كَافَّةً لِلنَّاسِ Except for all of mankind. That the Prophet ﷺ has been sent بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا as a giver of glad tidings and as a warner to all of people now if all of people do not know in this world they will definitely know in the other world hence the conclusion but most of mankind does not know so if most of mankind doesn't know that the Prophet ﷺ is for all mankind, then what is the purpose of the ayah? What's the purpose of sending him? So I explained that in the previous ayah, that in the previous ayah, the announcement that the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ will be final, that he is for all of mankind. So that is the wisdom I was referring to, that most people do not know in this world but they will definitely know in the other world where everybody will be in front of, or the Prophet ﷺ will be in front of everybody as the Rasul of Allah, as the Nabi of Allah. And that is how the reality of the Qur'an will be manifested over there in totality. And it is manifested here, sometimes in totality, sometimes not in totality because this world is limited by time and space and Allah's promise is not to be confined by time and space so this is how you understand the sign that if uh, the Prophet sallallahu is all of mankind then how come most people don't know the Quran acknowledges most people don't know so there is the implication that then Muslims must make people know as deputies of the Prophet That is the work of tabligh and da'wah, that you go and tell people that we believe in Muhammad and you give your da'wah of Islam, of the Qur'an, etc. That's one. The other is that even when you give da'wah, 
Or after you give da'wah, most people won't know. Still, then you still need another explanation for this fact that the Prophet ﷺ has been sent for all of people as a Bashir and as a Nadir. Therefore, the hadith of Shafa'ah become necessary for us to include and incorporate in the tafsir of ayat like these that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not start the proceedings of the Day of Judgment until all people come to Muhammad and ask him to represent them in front of Allah. Those sahih hadith gives us the total scope of this ayah. If you limit this ayah only to this world, then you have the problem which I just explained. Okay. Yeah. So this is we, the, the way we appropriate the tafsir is by making sure the tafsir is uh, in line with the words of the ayah. Bashiru wa nadira as someone who comes to warn and someone who gives glad tidings. So you can say both and you can say both go hand in hand that the ummah is responsible as deputies to inform others that the Prophet ﷺ is their Prophet also. Which is now, بَلِّغُ عَنِّي That you must convey from me. The Prophet ﷺ said to the Sahaba, even though it may be one point of Islam, one ayah. After that is done, you still need others to conform with the reality of the Day of Judgment, which is mentioned in Ayah number 27. Which also happened, as I mentioned in the beginning, on the Day of Judgment. Now, outside of that, understanding this Ayah requires another uh, explanation, uh, which is added on here, and that is that uh, the Prophet wasallam. Uh, was sent to all of mankind and also the jinn kind on this planet for all people at all times. So, all prophets mentioned the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's coming. Right? They all had to believe in him as the last messenger. This is from the Quran. So likewise, invariably, and obviously, anyone who believed in their prophet had to believe in Muhammad ﷺ as part of their aqidah. So this means that even those who believed in uh, Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa, uh, they all believed in Muhammad ﷺ as part of their aqidah. This is from the Quran and many hadith that we know. This, as there are many discussions about Muhammad ﷺ. As I have mentioned several times before in Surah Al-Araf, Allah mentions this, that the Prophet is mentioned in the books of the Torah and the Injil. Not only is the Prophet mentioned, the Sahaba also mentioned in the Torah and the Injil. So you can say that post-Ibrahim every community that received divine guidance knew Muhammad And then pre-Ibrahim, everybody knew of Muhammad. Also, as in the case of Adam and uh, Nuh so in this sense yeah, before Muhammad came he was already a Nabi for all people in the Akhidah 
as we see in Surah Al-Saf. Isa salam gave glad tidings of Muhammad coming. وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ اسْمُهُ أَحْمَدٍ That I have come to give you glad tidings of a Rasul who will come after me and his name is Ahmad which is Muhammad So we see there that even Isa the penultimate Nabi has been mentioned in the Quran to have said that Muhammad is coming. So in this sense in terms of time from Adam until the Day of Judgment, Muhammad is for all people as their Nabi and so on. In the Barzakh, in the grave, we all know that we will be asked the question of who is our Nabi or who is this person? And we will say, inshallah, this is Muhammad So he is our Nabi in the Barzakh. On the Day of Judgment, I just gave you the Hadith of Shafa'ah. We will all know that Muhammad is our Nabi, our representative in front of Allah. At the gates of Jannah, we will all, inshallah, drink from his hand, Mubarak, the word of Kothar. There also he is our Nabi. So wherever you are in time or space, Muhammad is the Nabi. Wherever you are in existence as human beings, he is your Nabi. This is how we appropriate the meaning of this ayah. But sadly, most human beings don't know. And if they don't know here, they will know there. That is how we see this ayah being understood by most of the Mufassirun. So it is uh, a merit and an honor for the Prophet ﷺ to be now described this way in the Quran, in this surah, surah Sabah, where people uh, might assume that uh, the Prophet is only the Nabi of the Arab or of the Banu Israel. Allah says no. Although the language that he communicates in is Arabic, but the message is universal. And the message is still with all people today, alhamdulillah, through whatever means that has happened in our recent history, everybody seems to know about Islam and Muslims, and invariably about Muhammad As you say, by hook or crook, either through positive uh, images or negative images, now everybody seems to know who Muhammad is. It is for the Muslim to make sure that that image is not distorted and that image is corrected by giving everybody eyeglasses by which they can correct their view of Muhammad okay. Who is going to give them those glass eyeglasses? Muslims are. It's not going to come from heaven. So the Muslims now have a dual responsibility of not only conveying but Re-representing. So it's a double order. In the first case, it was easy. Where you just say, this is who we are, this is what we believe about Muhammad Now, we have to do not only damage control, we have to reconstruct the whole image of Islam and the Prophet which is a taller order than before. Especially here in, uh, in the West. So that's how 
our responsibility has now become compounded because of recent events unfortunately unfolding. The Prophet ﷺ in one hadith also mentioned this, that I have been given five favors from Allah, which no other Nabi has been given. One of those is this one, that Allah has sent me as a messenger for all people at all times. So we believe as Muslims we uh, must uh, also feel honored by the fact that we are part of his ummah and he is our Nabi and he is our Rasul. Our Nabi and Rasul plays both roles. One is the one of a Bashir and the other is the role of a Nadir. So we receive instruction uh, from the Prophet Wasallam. And we also receive good, glad tidings. And we also receive some warnings that if you do this, this might happen. So our understanding of Nabuwa and prophethood and the Prophet is comprehensive. It is not just always one-sided. So the Ummah then must be able to introduce both sides of the Prophet Right? that there was this very, very concerned side, uh, generous side, not concerned, generous side where he gave promises, made promises for people who did good deeds, that if this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. As a motivator. On the other side, he was also someone who was not easily overwhelmed by people's obstinance, by people's stubbornness, by people's inability to follow him. So there he was concerned. If you don't follow me, you will get hurt. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would then assign him to make sure that people knew the warnings that if they did not follow him, then this will happen. So he conveyed that message also. This is what I mean by the comprehensive understanding of following a Nabi that a Nabi does both. He will motivate and he will warn. You mustn't just assume that the Prophet only motivated and he was always very upbeat and very inspirational, which he was, no doubt. But if, God forbid, a Sahabi did something wrong, he would warn them also. He was stern with them also. And that is a sign of a good leader that he's able to discipline those who are insubordinate. So when we paint the picture in front of our children, we must paint the picture of a Nabi, not just of a good man. What is the Nabi? Bashir and Nadir, both. That if you drink alcohol here, the Prophet said, you will not drink alcohol there. This needs to be explained to our communities and to our children. Where they say Allah is Ghafoor Rahim. He is, but this is the rule. He is Ghafoor Rahim, but this is the rule. You drink here, you won't drink there. That's what the Prophet said. So you stood. Discipline. He didn't just say that, yeah, Allah will forgive you. You'll go in Jannah, you'll be happy. No. Don't take God for granted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like people to become rebellious and then assume that he's going to forgive them because they're rebellious. It doesn't happen that way. 
So the Ummah needs to represent the Prophet ﷺ as Bashir and Nadir. Not just Bashir. That's one. And not just Nadir. So you have the softer side, which is probably the, uh, the community. Uh, 98% of the community, they favor the Bashir angle. The Prophet is good. And he motivated us, he inspired us. And then you have the 2% who are the other group, kind of, you know, the fundamentalists, who only promote the nadir angle. The Prophet was very strict and this and that, and you must kill people. Yeah. So now the Muslim who believes in the Prophet must forego and forsake his uh, understanding of the Prophet and represent the Prophet as the Prophet represented himself. Unbiased. So if there was an occasion when the Prophet was very kind and generous, then you say that. And if there's an occasion when he was very stern and disciplined, and he disciplined the Sahaba, then you must say that. Right? That's the truth. So you represent him with the truth, not the way you believe that people will appreciate him more. Because then that's a cop-out, number one. Number two is being dishonest. Why are you representing the Prophet as your, uh, part of your dishonesty? He was not dishonest. He was a lameen. He was trustworthy. That whatever God gave him, he delivered, whether it was this way or that way. So we need to understand that this eyes, kafatul nas is for all people. Uh, but when you say Bashir Nadir, you must also say that this is how he was. Because he was only there to deliver the message as a human being. So as human beings, sometimes you may fail your creator. And if you fail your creator, then you should be disciplined. And if you please your creator, you should be rewarded. That is the nature of life. Also would imply that most people do not know that there's both components to the Prophet, the Bashara and the Indar, the, the glad tidings and also the warning. That could also be a possible understanding of the eye, which would make it easier, obviously. Now, as a warner, the Prophet ﷺ warned the Quraysh that if they did not believe in Allah, they will be punished and Allah's help will come to the believers. So they said, وَيَقُولُونَ مَتَى هَذَا الْوَعْدُ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ So they say, meaning those who oppose you, when is this promise going to come? If indeed you are truthful. If indeed you are truthful and you are speaking the truth of this warning, when will this promise of the punishment come? As it is with all human beings. They don't like being threatened. People love promises and they hate threats. That's just the nature of human beings. <laughs> That's how we are. That's the way we are. We are wired. So the Quraysh was no different and they said, okay, you've been taunting us and you've been threatening us and you say your God is going to punish us, yet we still are doing what we are doing against you. And we're still hurting you, we're still persecuting you, we're still prosecuting you, 
We're still doing everything to make sure that you are marginalized and you are looked down upon and you are laughed at and scoffed at. Where is your promise against us that God will punish us? And if you don't have an answer, that means you're lying. So you are believing something that's a lie, which is a falsehood. And therefore you are wrong and we are right. This ayah also shows us that the Prophet ﷺ was obligated to warn the Quraysh about this threat, the promised punishment. Hmm. Meaning he could not take sides even though they were his own uh, blood, his kith and kin. That he had to warn them as part of his delivery and his balagh, his balagh, his tabligh. And he didn't have a choice, which he did. And the proof that he did warn them is this ayah and ayat like this, where we see the Quraysh saying what they said. So this will be a testimony and a proof of the Prophet ﷺ delivering the message, even though the message must have been extremely painful uh, to deliver and very bitter for himself to swallow. How am I going to and how am I supposed to warn my own people that God is going to punish them? If God punishes them, then who's going to worship Allah because then everybody's gone. I won't have anyone left. I'll be alone in the world. Understand how he went through this process. It's not easy to say that the Prophet was now uh, thick-skinned. And he was insensitive. No, he's a human being. And he loved all of his kith and kin. He was also from the Quraysh. And it was very difficult for him to say what he had to say. But he said it. And when he said it, he was not spared by the Quraysh. They still taunted him. They taunted him further. And they persecuted him further. So those who want to take on the warning component, the nadir component of the Prophet ﷺ, they cannot afford to be thick-skinned and insensitive. And then they must do it with a grain of salt so that they are not seen as the people who are ruthless, warmongers and bloodthirsty. The Prophet ﷺ was not bloodthirsty. The eye also proves that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not always bring down punishment simply because the Prophet says so. Oh, yeah. And the Prophet doesn't know the time and place where that punishment might occur. Yeah. And that is what the next ayah say. قُلْ لَكُمْ مِعَادِ يَوْمٍ Say to them, O Muhammad وسلم, that you have a promised time of a day you have an appointment on the day and that day is fixed in the knowledge of Allah I don't know when that day will come and that day came at Badr this ayah was revealed before Hijrah and the promise of Allah's help for the Muslims and punishment on the Quraysh came on the fixed day of Badr لا تستأخرون عنه ساعة you will not be delayed from that day. Nor will you be expedited. So the day in the knowledge of Allah is fixed. The Prophet ﷺ did not know that day. But he was just also anticipating 
that the day would not come. The Prophet ﷺ did not want the Quraysh to be punished, as is obvious from the seerah. On many occasions when he went out into battle, he would say, Don't hope to meet the enemy. It is much better that you have a truce and you do not fight than you do fight. This is the ethics of the sunnah of warfare that we don't, uh, if we do prepare for war, it is for reasons that are just and justified by the sharia. It is not simply to shed blood. So the Prophet ﷺ was never eager to tell them that they will be punished. And when that came, it came as a result of Allah's help for the Muslims. And as a result of Allah's help for the Muslims, the punishment for the Quraysh also came along with it. Yeah. This is how we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet ﷺ to all of mankind and one or two uh, groups of people were punished during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Not too many. Okay. Not too many people were killed in the battles of the Prophet ﷺ. Very few. You can count them. And the ulama of Sira have counted how many people were killed physically during the time of the Prophet And they're much less than a thousand in total. Which is a fact. It's not something that's made up. So if this Nabi was simply a warmonger, a bloodthirsty person, then you would have thousands of people who are slain. But that is not the case. You see that the Prophet's mission was to warn people and when people heeded his warning they came into Allah's Rahmah and the Prophet's job was done. So by the time he left if there were 120,000 plus okay, war mongering heathens okay, then would that be a sign that the Prophet did not do his job or did do his job you converted a whole group of people who lived in the desert at this number, mind-boggling number, and they represented the Prophet ﷺ thereafter throughout the world as part of his mission to be for all people. So when you evaluate the stats, the stats don't lie, then you make a conclusion based on the evidence that he converted 120,000 plus meaning that he did not kill them, right? And he killed less than a thousand. What's the ratio? Yes. Right. And there's no ratio. It's astronomically different. Yeah. So we see that the, 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 the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's intent to send the last Nabi for all of mankind was to save mankind, not to destroy mankind which is borne out by the seerah, that he saved thousands more than he punished, and he punished very few. So this will be, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لَعَلَمِينَ When you join that ayah with this ayah, then you get the true definition of our last Nabi, that we have not sent you as a rahmah for all of the worlds, and we have not sent you except for all of people, then they both come together and you see 
that when he did warn, it was not to destroy human beings, it was to save human beings. So Nabi's warning is protective in nature. It is not destructive in nature. Where the element of the ghadab, of the, the anger of a human being, is not being transferred into the recipient of the warning. The element of rahmah is being uh, transported and transferred into the recipient of the warning. So when people, uh, they paid attention and they took heed, then they benefited from the warning. And that is how you see your role in uh, da'wah, your role in understand the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Facilitate Islam and the practice of Islam for people. Don't make it difficult. That doesn't mean you change the rules. It means that give them a way by which, a pathway in which they can come into Islam and then practice Islam with their devotion rather than intimidation. So all of these ayat put together gives us this picture of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl on the Prophet Now, if you go back to the beginning, of the surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses Dawood and Sulaiman, Allah gave them such tremendous gifts and uh, they were able to subjugate iron and they were able to travel at will wherever they went, wanted to travel, etc. And you had the people of the Sabah and the Sheba be mentioned as a prototype civilization and they were destroyed because of their ingratitude and they're not following the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now we see that those stories are to give us the role of the Prophet Muhammad that Dawood and Suleiman no doubt are great anbiya and prophets and Allah blessed them in so many different ways but the way the Prophet is blessed is now timeless it is timeless so who represents Dawood and Suleiman now? No one. Right? Who represents the Prophet ﷺ now? We do. Even though we're 1400 years removed. So that's eternity now. On the Day of Judgment, it will be for eternity. So the Kafatul Linnas also means that at all times there will be a representation of the Prophet ﷺ. On this earth and also in the other worlds, the Barzakh and the Day of Judgment and Jannah and so on. So, the Prophet's role is to show human beings that they have much more than this life to live for. That is his message and the message of all Prophets before him. If you understand this, then you will not anticipate, nor would you want to bring on Allah's punishment on you because then that will be definitive and decisive and you will no longer be eligible for God's mercy if you were to do that. So the number of people who are punished during the time of the Prophet are very few so that human beings have hope. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَثَرُوا لَنْ نُؤْمِنَ بِهَادُ الْقُرْآنِ وَلَا بِالَّذِي بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَلَوْ تَرَى إِذِ الظَّالِمُونَ مَوْقُوفُونَ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يَرْيَوْ بَعْضٌ إِلَى بَعْضٍ الْقَوْمِ From this ayah there is a set of dialogues and discussions that are quite long. We will 
inshallah, start one today, and then we'll continue with the rest the next time we meet, inshallah. This is in reference to those who disbelieve. They say, we will never believe in this Qur'an, nor in anything that is before it. Anything that's revealed in front of it and with it. Yeah. This is the mindset of those who simply do not want to believe in revelation. It's not that they don't believe in Muhammad which was also true that out of pure jealousy they couldn't stand the idea that the um, divine would choose an orphan unread and let it that was from the Banu Israel, Banu Ismail, sorry, the, the, the Arab, the Quraysh would say, he's just an orphan, he's not even educated. Why did God choose his revelation to come to him? And the second group, the Banu Israel, we are the people of the book, we are Ahul Kitab, we know revelation. Why did God choose his last revelation to come to the Banu Ismail, the Arab, and deprive us, the Banu Israel? From the last revelation. So those two groups are being now uh, spoken to here. They have been addressed. Those who disbelieve are both. The Banu Ismail who did not believe in the Quran. And the Banu Israel who did not believe in the Quran nor in Muhammad sallallahu They have both been addressed here. Right? What do they say? They say we will never believe in this Quran. All the reasons I just mentioned. So belief is belief in Allah. If you know who Allah is, you believe everything that he reveals. Because there's no discrimination in belief and revelation. Is there? If you have a fact, then you must believe in the fact, irrespective of who you are and where you are. Right? So if you have scientific facts, for instance, you cannot challenge them because you are biased about your religious affiliation or your political affiliation or your social affiliation or your tribal affiliation. So revelation doesn't have to do with tribalism. Revelation doesn't have to do with being prejudiced or biased and favoring your own people or your own group or your own civilization, or what have you. That is the wrong end of the stick. So people who say that they don't believe in Muhammad or in the Quran, then they are denying the ultimate truth, which is being biased and prejudiced and sometimes being bigots. So they're doing this not because they necessarily understand the truth, but because it is now, it is being, as I said, tribal, and it has been partisan. So the Quran is explaining this to show human beings of that time and this time. It's very relevant to our current situation also, that if there is a truth, then the truth must be exposed, number one. Number two, it must be believed in as long as you can prove it is the truth. The Quran is al-haq, the ultimate truth, and for someone to say, they will never believe in the ultimate truth is uh, nothing short of stupidity. Right? Yeah. And neither will we believe in anything that came before it or in front of it. 
wherever it is. They're not interested in the truth. That is what the ayah is saying. So when you want to give da'wah and you want to explain the ultimate truth, the Qur'an, to people, okay, make sure that you're delivering the truth, number one. And number two, if they don't believe, it's not because they don't believe you or like you. It's because they don't want to change their ways and they don't want to leave their norms uh, in order to believe in something that will definitely change their norms. Right? So the Quraysh knew that if they believed in the Qur'an, they will have to change their ideologies, their philosophies, their methodologies, their lives. And that is what they were not willing to give up. Like today, if you propose Islam to anybody, if they are in favor of the truth, they will listen. If they are not in favor of the truth, they will never give up what it is they don't want to give up. So that's why the Quran says to the Prophet ﷺ in Alayk al that your job is simply to convey, expose the truth if they believe that is God's now guidance and if they don't believe that is their own stubbornness that is preventing them from believing. There's no reason for you to bend over backwards and lose sleep after sleep after sleep. Uh, because that is not your responsibility. So, in the, uh, the present climate, when Muslims are trying to present Islam and re-present Islam and then reform the image of Islam, as I said, then they must also use this as a reassurance that they don't get burned out because people no longer want to listen to you or they don't want to believe, period. This happens to everybody. It happened to the best human being on the planet. That is Muhammad So join the club. And you're in good company if that happens. Don't be rejected. Don't feel rejected and don't feel dejected. If people ignore you or people say, you're not going to believe. You must uphold the truth no matter what happens. Because the truth stands by itself. It doesn't need defendants. The haqq comes. And the battle of falsehood goes away. If you are with the truth, then you're amongst those who are with the truth. And if you change the truth to appease people, then you're amongst those who are guilty of tahrif and distortion. And they have a very special place in Jahannam. If you distort the Quran and Sunnah, and if you distort Islam and religion. Right? Because now you're seen as a munafiq. You're seen as a hypocrite. That you want Islam to look this way, because it will appeal Let's go with this ayah that the Prophet ﷺ is now being addressed to say, that, look, this is what the Quraysh is saying, they will never believe the Qur'an, this Qur'an. Would they believe another version of the Qur'an? Yeah, sure they would. Which version? The version that says that your religion is good, they'll believe that Qur'an. Right? Very easily. But did the Qur'an say you can do that? No. Did Allah say you may compromise with the shirk? So we, we see here that this ayah speaks to us. It's the revelation of our current issues and affairs right in front of us that when you draw a bridge from that situation to this situation, the Quran is making it very clear that you must represent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Number one, you must represent the Quran for what it is. 
the meaning of the Qur'an and the understanding of the Qur'an, uh, that you may discuss in academic circles and outside if you want to, but it's still the truth. The words of the Qur'an are revealed word for word, letter for letter to the Prophet You cannot change that because it will uh, tick off a few people. <laughs> right. So what if it does tick off a few? They're ticked off, period. <laughs> they don't like you, period. Right. So if you're going to go that route of saying we want to correct and reform the image of Islam and Muhammad sallam, then make sure you don't distort anything that is already established truth in Islam. وَلَا بِالَّذِي بَيْنِ And nothing that's in front of it means this. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? It means that anything that has been established from the Qur'an as an Islamic fact, you cannot distort or change or present in such a way that shows that you are being disingenuous. You can't do that. Otherwise you'll be in trouble. Yeah, that is unfortunately sometimes what happens in our uh, interfaith groups and sessions where somehow, somewhere, we end up doing things that are totally un-Islamic in the name of promoting Islam. So you don't do that. You want to speak the truth at all times to all people the way it is. If you feel that you cannot do that, meaning you don't have the strength to do it, then don't do it. Simple. Don't do it. Let somebody else who has the strength to do it, do it. Why are you setting yourself up for destruction and the path of Jahannam? Simply because you want a few people to like you. That's not very noble. And it's not very, it's not very uh, sensible either. In fact, it's quite stupid, right? <laughs> yeah. That tomorrow if they find out that you said this is Islam when it's not Islam, and Allah gives them guidance and hidah, mashallah, inshallah, they will come to you and say, you don't know your Islam, brother. That's what they'll say. You told me this, and this is wrong. Your Islam is false. And that's why you were uh, failing and suffering, because you didn't know your deen. I always say to people, that before you present Islam, make sure you know where you stand on this issue, This what is your position as a Muslim, on this issue, don't speculate and shoot from the hips. So the eye is saying that people will say they will never believe in the Quran, nor anything that's in front of the Quran, meaning the uh, previously established facts of the Quran uh, through revelation. Then we should take inspiration from this ayah that if this happened to the Prophet wasallam then why do we feel special that Allah will preserve us and not allow us to face this dilemma also? It's going to happen. And it's happening. So, as I said, there are two ways. One is, if you don't have the ability and the strength to do so, then don't do it. Make dua for those who do. And number two, if you feel that you have the ability and the strength, inshallah, Allah will give you his uh, fadl and his help and assistance if you speak the truth. Now, if the truth is denied, they're not denying you, they're denying the truth. As with some of the communities later on in Medina, where they denied that this is a revelation, 
but they wanted Muslims to believe in the revelation that came to Musa so the Quran uses them also as a, uh, an example for us that when people say this is our book, this is our book, this is our book Muslims say we believe in every revelation as long as that revelation is not distorted but if Muslims start to distort their revelation then they are like them may Allah save us and protect us and give us the strength and ability to do inshallah what pleases him the most ameen ya rabbal alamin wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi muhammadi wa alihi wa sahbihi